Would you turn with me, please, to the passage we read in God's Word, the prophecies of Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, and as the Lord would enable us this evening, we might consider together verse 3. Verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. All the prophets were preachers of Christ, and they all declared the way of salvation, which is through faith and repentance. Faith towards God, repentance towards God, and faith in Jesus Christ. That was true of all the the prophets. And it was especially true of Isaiah, whose very name means Jehovah has saved. And here he is, the one who is, we might say, the great evangelist of the Old Testament. The one who was given such clear prophecies and revelations of the work of Christ. You think of Isaiah 42, Isaiah 53, Isaiah 61. What clear prophecies he was given. And what delight he must have had in setting forth before the people under the types of the Old Testament the work that Christ was to do. And not only was he given wonderful revelations regarding the coming Saviour, we find him also being stirred up and announcing in God's name that people are to come and they are to entrust their souls to this same coming Messiah. And perhaps this chapter is the um, great chapter of the Old Testament which sets forth so clearly the way of salvation and calls to faith in Christ. I'm sure you've read it often. I'm sure perhaps if you have had um, to read Scripture and uh, there are a number of unconverted people in the gathering, this must, they may be one of the Old Testament passages that you would naturally gravitate to. Listen to these words. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Ye come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. A call to come and to draw from the wells of salvation, to forsake all that does not satisfy for the one who alone can satisfy God and Jesus Christ. Or do you look at verse 6? When you have this wonderful description of repentance and this assurance that for all who will repent of their sin, they shall know forgiveness. Seek the Lord while he is to be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake as we, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord. He will have mercy upon him to our God. Listen to this. For he will 
abundantly pardon. Can you rest your soul there tonight? For a word, abundantly. Abundantly pardon. There is hope for great sinners when there is an abundant pardon offered in the gospel. And you'll notice he goes on and in the name of God gives that assurance. God's holy. That's a reason to give thanks. Because it means he doesn't deal with people the way you and I would think he might be expected to deal with people. That those who rebel should just be abandoned and left. What assurances are given here. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. I don't deal with you the way you're liable to deal with others. No, I'm the God <coughs> who forgives sin in Jesus Christ. What a wonderful revelation God has given of himself in this passage. And in the words of our text, we find the gospel set forth and a call to faith set forth in terms of God's covenant. Incline your ear, come unto me here and your soul shall live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Here was a call to the Jews of Isaiah's day. And here is a call to you this evening to embrace God's covenant. And if you're a believer, to re-embrace it and to draw comfort and encouragement from what God's covenant is. Perhaps as we come across that word covenant, we are liable immediately to stumble because it's not the sort of word that we tend to use today. And yet we find it's a common word in Scripture. And the people of Isaiah's day would know immediately what was being referred to here. Because in the Middle East, covenants were common in the politics of the day. Basically, what would happen was this. You would find a nation would overrun another nation. And having overrun another nation, they would then set the terms and conditions by which the relationship should continue between the victor and those who were conquered. And so it would be set forth that if you are the conquered nation, that the great king who had defeated you would be your king and you would be a loyal subject. And if you were to show loyalty to him and keep the rules he set, and perhaps pay some um, tribute amongst other things, then he would protect <coughs> you and bless you and all would go well. And from the days of Moses certainly onward, these things were common. The people knew what they did. <coughs> and we find that this had arisen because God in his providence was showing, going to use these things to show the people that this idea of 
a covenantal arrangement was reflecting that arrangement by which God always relates to people. That he is, as it were, the supreme overlord. And he sets forth to those that are under him how he will relate to them. You think of how at the beginning God entered into a covenant of life with our first parents. A gracious thing to do. Because man didn't deserve a framework set forth Describing not only how he God would relate to him, but also giving the promise of life upon condition of perfect allegiance. There was a covenant of works given to Adam. Do this, thou shalt live. And we all know what happened. Adam rebelled against God, took of the forbidden fruit, fell in sin. And you and I fell in him. In his first transgression, he, the representative of the race, and we, falling in heaven. Isn't it amazing that no sooner had Adam fallen than we find God coming to meet with him and Showing that he is willing to provide a way of salvation through a coming redeemer, the seed of the woman, who would destroy the seed of the serpent. God intimates the covenantal arrangement, the peace treaty, that will describe how he will deal with men and women and boys and girls, and how he will be at peace with them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That covenant of grace, as we call it, intimating the peace treaty between God and those who will embrace it. And this evening I'd like us to look at this call to embrace God's gospel covenant. And to notice briefly six characteristics of this covenant, which should be an encouragement to you this evening to embrace this covenant, to make sure that you are not destroyed by remaining under that broken covenant of works. A sinner who has failed to live as you should but rather you might find peace through Jesus Christ. And if you've done so already as we consider these things, well, it should encourage you and strengthen your hope in Jesus Christ. First of all, you'll notice this gospel covenant is a divine covenant. A divine covenant. You'll notice that it is God who takes the initiative. Whenever you look at false religion, in whatever guise it shows itself, you find it's always based on the idea of man's search for God. 
examine false religion throughout the world. And as man's attempt to find God, man's attempt to pacify God, to remove his justice, judgments, to find his way of making his own peace with God. And you've got the complete opposite here. The gospel's unique in this alone. That it is God who takes the initiative. Now the young folk will remember what happened in the Garden of Eden. It was Adam and Eve who'd run away and hid when the Lord appears at the cool of the day. And God calls out and challenges them and calls them to come. And it's God who reveals the offer of salvation to them. And you can see that initiative being brought out here. Incline your ear, come unto me, here in your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will come. And I am the one who am taking the initiative. I am the one who am setting this forth and am making the provision. But that later in the New Testament expressed this way. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing our trespasses to us. God taking the initiative, God at work in Christ, providing him as that way of salvation. And friends, is it not that that gives us confidence in the gospel? Because it's not your thoughts, how can I somehow make up with God? It's not someone else's thoughts. Perhaps that's a good way to follow. It's God's thoughts. It's God's declaration. And you and I can have perfect confidence, full confidence in God's covenant. Because it is God's way. And as we listen to God and how he sets it forth as to how he is willing to relate to rebellious sinners like you and me, then we can say, I will have that and I can trust in that. It's God's way and not mine. The devil will tell you otherwise. But you can rest your soul here. <coughs> Isn't it all good to listen to God and to act upon what he says? Because he knows what is right, what is best, what works. Everything else will fail. <coughs> You'll notice God not only takes the initiative, but this also includes God's provision. He's the one who provides a way of salvation. He doesn't ask man to make his peace or to earn his peace. He says, here and your soul shall live. And of course, it's brought out in the previous verses of how here is something which isn't to be laboured for. It's God's provision. And he has made a full provision for the salvation of sinners. It's not just his idea saying, this is how I'm going to relate to you. 
But I have made full provision to enable that relationship to be established. And you, you are not asked to do anything but to hear and to live. That provision which is bound up in Jesus Christ and in which we find all that is needed for life and salvation. That should encourage us. It's God's covenant. That means he sets the conditions. One of the difficulties when we think of a covenant or an arrangement between God and man is that you and I are liable to think of contracts that people enter into. You may have bought a house or a car. You have an employment contract and you think of two parties and negotiations and of coming and going until a final agreement is made. You think of treaties between nations as to how they shall trade. There's a coming and going between two parties. But this is my covenant, is how God speaks. He says, come and hear and your soul shall live. And what he is saying is, look, come, listen to me, accept what I am saying, accept the terms and conditions as they are set forth, in other words, come with faith. Come repenting of sin, as it's set forth in verses 6 and 7. And come as a penitent sinner to embrace believingly this arrangement. That is all that is required. But it must be done. He sets the conditions. It's not that we're to think that these are the cause of peace. Because you'll notice in verse 1, he says, He that hath no money, come ye buy and eat, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. There are blessings which can never be earned. Your faith can't. Remember that because sometimes the devil will trouble you by the thought, is your faith strong enough? Your faith's weak. You're not accepted. But remember, although faith is essential, although repentance is essential, no one was ever saved because of their faith, because of their repentance. They're not saved without it. It's Christ and his work alone that saves. God calls you to embrace what he has set forth before you. It's a divine covenant. Notice secondly, it's a merciful covenant. A merciful covenant. Friends, is this not a merciful provision? Aren't you and I sinners? Is it not true that today that 
many different ways. You have sinned. You have not loved God with all your heart. You have not loved your neighbour as yourself. You have perhaps thought hard things about others. You have been less careful with the truth than you should have been. Our God has not been in all your thoughts. Each one of us stand condemned to the bar of God's justice. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all robbed God of his honour. As Hosea could put it, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself. Friends, is that not the situation we are in? Adam had fallen in sin, and you and I, not only sharing in his sin, but actually sinning ourselves, are only under his judgment and awaiting condemnation. And here is God, the one who has been wronged, and the one who is Lord over all, who would have been perfectly righteous had he condemned Adam and Eve at the beginning, who would have been perfectly righteous if he had dealt with you as soon as you had actually sinned, for the first time and said that's it enough you're a rebel be done with him and yet here he is he comes and the one who does not have to make any move towards man is pleased to provide a way but by sinners might have a relationship with them. A merciful provision. There was man in misery. But remember it wasn't even our own misery that stirred God to act. Because not all those who are in misery are brought to Christ. It's all a free grace that God might be glorified. He will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. What a merciful provision that he was willing to offer you a way of peace. And you see the mercy also in that that provision is costly. Not to you, but we can see to him. In this regard, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What a mercy! That such a costly provision, a way of salvation, should be provided for sinners like you and me. He gives us that. Have you embraced this way? Or do you count it as nothing? Do you despise God's gospel covenant because you're saying it's nothing to think about. It's of no interest to me. How shall you escape when God offers so much mercy? To a hell-deserving sinner. Notice also 
This covenant is not only a merciful provision, but it's a provision of mercies. What does this covenant promise? Life. Here and your soul shall live. It promises satisfaction. Or oh, there are things which do not satisfy. Eat that which is good and let your soul delight itself in fineness. Isn't that what you need? Are you satisfied? In the depths of your soul, have you peace? Peace of conscience and true satisfaction? So that you're not relying Chasing after things that you know won't last. What do you need? God. God's forgiveness. What is it to reject this covenant? But it is to forsake your own mercy. The mercy that your own mercies, the mercies which are offered to you in Jesus Christ. Jonah could see they did observe lying vanities. They fall off their idols. They forsake their own mercies. They abandon the mercy that would otherwise be theirs. If they would but embrace that one true and living God. Friend, are you doing that? By rejecting the covenant that alone can give life. Do you choose death instead of life? Do you choose that which will leave you unsatisfied forever? Is that not foolish? Oh, it's a merciful covenant. Consider those mercies and the merciful provision and the provision of mercies. Let that lead you to Jesus Christ. We must move on. It's also, thirdly, a Christ-centered covenant. A Christ-centered covenant. You see, Isaiah here is pointing to Christ. And he's reminding us that he is the one who has secured all those mercies, the salvation of sinners. And that's brought out in the phrase, the sure mercies of David. The sure mercies of David. And you get the reference there to David. A reminder that this covenant embraces the same blessings that were promised to David in 2 Samuel 7 and in, uh, that he speaks of, that we found spoken of in Psalm 89 and which he speaks of at the end of his life where he can say that although things haven't gone right with his whole household, yet God has made with him an everlasting covenant ordered in all things and sure. This is all the salvation and all his desire. You see, the promises made to David are the same promises essentially made to us. And the promises were pointing to the one who was David's son. It talks here about the sure mercies of David. Because it's saying all these promises made to David... 2 Samuel 7 and in, and in Psalm 89 they really were pointing to David as the one who was the type of the Messiah 
the time for the, the Saviour was to come. And so the sure mercies of David refer to David's great son who was to come, the Messiah. And he is the one who is offered to sinners. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. What is that covenant? It's the sure mercies of David. It is the mercies which are bound up with the Messiah, with the Saviour, with Jesus Christ. These promises of salvation, which are bound up with Christ because he is the one who has secured salvation, has purchased it, and therefore purchased all those blessings for his people by his death. Who is it that reconciles sinners to God? Is Jesus Christ, the son of David. Who is it that secures all needed grace to live? It's Jesus Christ. The promise of the Spirit, the promise of the resurrection, the promise of heaven, all these promises are bound up in Jesus Christ. He is the Saviour. So here's Isaiah. He's saying, look, come and lay a hold of this gospel covenant these sure mercies of david lay a hold of the truths and the promises bound up with the coming savior and embrace them for yourself and see that they belong to all those who trust in him you see these blessings only belong to believers in Christ. And that's where many go wrong. Many people hope that somehow they will enjoy blessings and that they will have peace and will have the hope of heaven eventually, somehow or other. And friend, you must get rid of such ideas and realise that God's covenant has been made with Christ and with his people in him with all who will be one with him, with all who will embrace him. It's all that the Father gave to him to represent in his life and death. And who are they? Well, they are those who will come to him and trust in him. And therefore this provision, this covenant, is for all who will come to Christ. And so we can hear of these blessings and these promises. And perhaps they at times can seem attractive to you. How can they be yours? Well, you must realise that you must be one with Jesus Christ. You must have your faith and your confidence in him. And the question therefore this evening is this. Have you? Will you embrace Jesus Christ? as he has offered to you in the gospel? Will you place your trust in him? Will you count yourself as one with him? Will you, as it were, lay all your sins in him and say, I will have him to take my sins and deal with all those sins. And I will take him to be my sacrifice for sin. That we have reconciliation between me and God. So that his death on the cross 
It will be as if I died there. His sufferings. As if it was I that suffered. His doing of the law. My keeping of the law. I could never do it myself. But it's all Christ. And I want him alone. To be the one who would undertake for me. And I want to be found one with him. <coughs> and I will entrust my soul to him. And take him to be mine. That I might share all in all the blessings. That are to be found in him alone. Come. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Realize that you will have no blessing out of Christ. But there is every blessing. Through faith in Jesus Christ. And there's a fourth thing. Here's a life-giving covenant. He says, here and your soul shall live. Realize that all that you need for life and salvation is to be found in Jesus Christ. You need faith. Perhaps you say, well, that's what I need. And I know I can't do it myself, but Christ can give you faith and enable you to believe. And all that you need <coughs> is to be found in Christ. Do you feel under the judgment of God? Well... Our God is one who abundantly pardons. There are people here today. And yes, they are sinners. But they've been abundantly pardoned. And they have a relationship with God because of that pardon. He has given them life. And pardon. <coughs> There's a promise of pardon here. Should that not encourage you to embrace this covenant? Oh, you say, well, I would like to embrace this covenant and to have my sins forgiven, but I could never keep up a holy life. I realize that in the gospel there is promised not only the forgiveness of sins, but the Holy Spirit to enable the sinner to grow in holiness. All that is all he promises all that is needed to make you holy and to bring you to glory. You must realize that God's people are complete in him. And he has all the resources they need. <clears throat> To bring them to glory. And you can have confidence. In what God will do. You can't do it yourself. Your minister can't do it himself. Neither can the elders. Neither can the godliest person you know. But it's all of Jesus Christ. He gives life. And to have God in Christ as your God is to be satisfied for now and forever. It means you can say God is mine. 
You know, what's man's problem? The loss of God. And you try and fill that hole with other things. It doesn't work. What is the great misery of hell? Is to realise that you're cut off from God. The fountain of all good. To have God against you. To be separated from God. That's the fearful thing about hell. That's what you deserve. But here is God. And his gospel covenant saying, in effect, I give you myself when you lay a hold of this peace treaty. That's why there's satisfaction in Christ. Have you found that? Dear believer, you rejoice. You can say, Christ is mine. God is mine. And I am satisfied in him. It's not only a life-giving covenant, notice fifthly, it's a reliable covenant. A reliable covenant. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. The sure mercies of David. If you think of it, there are many contracts that get broken. There's an election just now, and in many ways a manifesto can be seen as a contract offered between people and the politicians. And you and I know that whatever is said, half of it will never be done, and much is said in insincerity. <coughs> and even those who seem to be most reliable in making contracts with others well, we know that sometimes things happen and they're not able to fulfil their contracts, uh, never mind people being changeable. But you'll notice there are two words here which tell you this is a reliable covenant. The first is this, an everlasting covenant. God's covenant of grace is from eternity. It's never changed, it never will change. God doesn't change the terms and conditions the way some people change the terms and conditions by which they might let out a house, or, uh, an employment contract. He's not like that. It's reliable. You can take him at his word. And that's brought out by the phrase, sure mercies. God is not a man that he shall lie. Or the son of a man that he shall repent. He doesn't change his mind. Indeed, if you think of the resurrection of Christ, he was raised through the everlasting covenant. I think it was Hebrews uh, 12 at the end, that uh, Hebrews 13 at the end that mentions that. The very resurrection tells you God keeps his word. So when you hear the gospel, it's saying, I mean what I say. You can rest your soul in this common covenant. Well, then notice, finally, it is an offered covenant. An offered covenant. You see how freely it is offered? Incline your ear, come unto me here, and your soul shall live. What are you told to do? Nothing. 
Nothing. Isn't that the wonder of the gospel? It don't do nothing. It's something to be received. Something to be believed. Something to be embraced. But basically, God here says, do nothing. Come to me and live. Perhaps your problem tonight is, you think you've got to bring something with you. You bring nothing but your sin. Your sin might be dealt with. It is freely offered. Do not go wrong in thinking you need to do something. Rather embrace this covenant as it is. And yes, give yourself to be the Lord's. Cease from your rebellion, walking as we. Realising it's not because you cease from your rebellion and are walking in his ways that he's now at peace with you. It's all because of what Christ has done. It's freely offered. You'll notice also it's widely offered. Notice this offer isn't restricted to a few people. Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come to the waters. He that hath no money, Come and eat. All who heed. If you and I were setting up a stall at a market to um, sell some goods, well, it would be very strange if we said, well, sorry, I'm not, I'm not selling to you. You come from Europe. It's not for them. People from Barbara, that will do. It would be a strange way of acting, wouldn't it? Oh, everyone that thirsteth. If you want it, in other words, you shall have it. That's the beauty of the gospel. That all who hear, and all who come, and all who take, shall have. And who are being addressed here? Sinners. And you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. So we're being addressed here. Then will you not take him? We not embrace this covenant. Here is God speaking in all sincerity to you. There's a wide offer freely made. Notice also it's patiently offered. Notice the repetition of the word come. You've got it in verse 1. Whoever the one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Again in verse 1, have you no money? Come ye. And then in verse 3, listen and your soul shall live. You'll notice God saying in verse 2, hearken diligently unto me. Incline your ear and come unto me. Again, hear and your soul shall live. Verse 4. Behold. Verse 5. You've got another. Behold. Just the patience of God. You and I might be tempted. If we were offering a covenant, a contract to someone, if it's rejected, say, well, that's fine. I'll go somewhere else. Be thankful for God's patience with you. Because you don't deserve to hear the gospel again and again and again. 
And yet God patiently offers it to you. What encouragement to come to him. But we must warn you also of this. There is a danger of transpatience. Seek him while he is to be found. Call upon him while he is to be Beware of going on and on. Ignore him. If you do that, the day may come when you will not hear. It will be too late and a fearful thing. Does that not mean tonight we should embrace this covenant? Do not try the patience of God. Final thing you'll notice is a non-negotiable covenant. Remember, it's non-negotiable. Who are you to question God's ways of relating to his creatures? Do not try and negotiate with God. It won't work. God will just come back time and time and time again and say, these are the terms and conditions. You must accept. Surely you should. Oh friend, will you not? What is faith but a hearty acceptance of God's gospel covenant? Incline your ear, come unto me, here and your soul shall live. Here's his promise. Do that. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Even as sure mercies of David. Do that tonight. Let us pray. Lord, bless thy truth to us. Help us to thank thee for Jesus Christ.